Welcome to the Discipleship Podcast with Pastor Pablo Martinez. We truly believe disciples aren't born, they are made. If your desire is to grow, renew your mind, and go to the next level in the way you live for God, this podcast is for you. Pastor Pablo will be sharing the real heart of a disciple through tough but transformational truths that are sure to confront us. These truths will lead us into establishing the kingdom of God in our lives. Now is the time. Grab your pen, a notebook, and your Bible. It's time to get formed. All right, why don't we give Jesus a big round of applause? Awesome, awesome. It's so beautiful. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, thank you for joining us online. Uh, how are you guys doing? You guys good? All right, you may, you may be seated. Uh, every time we meet more and more, it's feeling, it's feeling like more and more like this is, this is like church. I don't know if you guys know what I'm saying. Uh, I know. Are you guys cold? Are you guys good? No, you guys are good? Around fire? Uh, I, um, I want to share with you a message. I want to jump right into it. Uh, I believe it's very important for us to learn these lessons. Uh, as you guys know, we've been going through, um, you know, just a season, a very difficult season, right? 2020, uh, you know, everybody knows about 2020, right? Like uh, the pandemic, you know, the, all the different things. But one thing I've realized is that during this season, a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, they seem to be struggling a little bit more because you don't have certain strength, uh, certain pillars in your life that normally were there, normally were present. And you begin to struggle in your life. You begin to, to feel alone or maybe you begin to feel a little bit purposeless or maybe you struggle a little bit more with your emotions. And I know it's not you because you're strong, but maybe the person next to you. But people sometimes in the midst of crisis, they begin to falter or, or fall or stumble. I don't know if this is a sermon that will be applicable to your life now, but it will certainly apply to your life at some point. Because it's not a matter of if you fall, it's a matter of when you fall and how hard you fall. I used to have a motorcycle and my mother gave it away. Now, I wasn't mad about that because I knew I probably would have killed myself in it. Knowing how irresponsible I was and how crazy I was. Uh, you know, that was a miracle motorcycle, by the way. I don't have time to share it with you. But it was a byproduct of, uh, of God's mercy. Now, somebody told me when I got that motorcycle that it's not a matter of when you fall. If, if you fall, it's a matter of when you fall. That everyone who owns a bike at some point or another, they're going to experience a fall because it doesn't always depend on you. Sometimes it depends on people around you. There are bad drivers all over the place. Now, I want to move away from the motorcycle analogy into your life for just a second. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how hard. It's, no matter, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how hard. Now, I don't want, I don't mean to say this to the husbands that we're all going to, you know, be unfaithful or, or to all of you here that you're going to walk away from God. It's not like that. It's that at some point or another, the Bible says that there are non-righteous except one and that is Jesus Christ. That there are times in our lives where we feel so ran down or so tired or angry, or let down. And what do you do with that feeling? What do you do when you fail God? When I look at the lives of, of people like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, I think of great giants of the faith. I'm like, these people were amazing. Like, it's not fair. Like, you know, Peter walked with Jesus and Paul was just Paul. Like, it's not fair. But then I start studying their lives and I realize more and more, people like Paul, Peter, King David, even though they slew giants or they did miracles, signs and wonders, each one of these men had a thorn in their side. Each one of these men had failures in their life. And I want to share with you today from my heart, not because I want to talk about this, but because I feel that we need to talk about this. What do you do with the spirit of failure? What do you do when failure knocks at your door? What do you respond to that spirit? And I want to call it a spirit, not a thought, not a feeling anymore, but a spirit. Because if there's a, if there's a spirit of conquest, there's also a spirit of failure. Yes or no? By the way, failure is not a person. You can never call somebody a failure. You're never a failure. Failure is a spirit that comes about a repetitive or a, a repetitive event. It keeps happening. You keep failing at something and you begin to feel like that belongs to you. 
And that spirit takes over mind, heart, and even body at times. Failure, I want to repeat this to you, it's a spirit. And I want to teach you tonight how to deal with the spirit of failure. If you want to give it a quick title, I call it like this. Breaking the spirit of failure. Let's pray and let's ask God to reveal to us his word and to show us how to be more than conquerors. Amen. Not just conquerors, but more than conquerors. The Bible says that in him, we are more than conquerors. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for all these conquerors in here, God. I pray that today you help us, Lord, to deal the right way with failure. God, God, when, we, when it knocks at the door, when, when we come across it, God, whether it is at a, at a global level, at a, at a, at a country, or a, 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 I mean, at our national level, or at a personal level, God, as we see things not working out the way we thought they would work out, or as we see our own lives as they truly are, God, I pray that you help us, Lord, to, to deal with this as you would. Jesus, help us to learn today, if not only for us, but for those around us, to have mercy and to have strength in the midst of trial. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as you guys know, last Sunday or two Sundays ago, last Sunday, uh, Carlita shared an amazing, a powerful message. Then the Sunday before that, it was Georgie. I think it was Georgie. Yeah, George shared a powerful message. But the Sunday before that, I was talking about Peter, right? And how Jesus had breakfast with Peter. You guys remember that? And how Peter, you know, betrayed Jesus. And then, you know, this whole recovery thing happened. Well, I didn't talk about, because I meant to talk about it the Sunday after that, but then it was Nadia's wedding, I was in Panama. I meant to talk exactly about this. What is it, what happens between the, the amazing story of recovery? You know, the testimony of Peter, the one who, you know, preached to thousands of people. Peter, the one whose shadow would heal people. Peter, the, the, the guy who, who like, like I told you guys that Sunday, half of Mexico is named after Pedro, right? Like, what happens from the moment this guy is a failure, like he let Jesus down? What did you do? Like, what did he do? What do you do? What do we do when we denied God with our actions? What do we do when you don't live up to what you've been taught? In this church, you will never lack, never lack good word. I promise you that. And I'm not saying because I'm the pastor. I'm telling you because there's so much word shared with you day after day, week after week. If you don't catch it on Sunday, you'll catch it in the week. Isn't it true? Like if you don't catch it on Sunday, you catch it in your 12 meeting. If you don't catch it in your 12 meeting, you catch it in your open cell group. If you don't catch it then, there's live class. If you don't catch it there, there's formation Friday. If not, there's Sunday. If you don't catch it, it's because you didn't want it. Is it true or not? In this place, you will have so much word. And by the way, your devotionals daily is just another moment where God will give you words. But the fact of the matter is this, that Jesus will always command you to follow him. He will always demand obedience obedience from you. Never buy a Jesus that is sold for free. Never. Or at a discounted price. Jesus always demands obedience. He always demands sacrifice. When he told his disciples, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. He was literally telling them, you are going to die. Follow me. You are going to have to live and die like I did. Follow me. Nowadays, it seems like it's too easy, just too easy. Why am I telling you all this? Because when God asks you for obedience, it's not because he thinks you're not going to fall or you're not going to disobey, because he wants you to learn to deal when you fall. And how do you deal with disobedience in your own personal life? I wish I had the time, the effort, the strength. And I wish you and I knew each other as well as I do my kids so that I can be there for you and discipline you when you lie, when you cheat, when you let people down, when you watch things you shouldn't, when you do things you shouldn't. I see my sons and I think, man, these kids are so blessed. They have the providence of having a father who loves them, which I did not. So I had to learn some things along the way on how to be self-disciplined. My mother was amazing. She's still amazing. But to be very honest with you, I learned the art of getting away with stuff very little. I learned the art of getting away with stuff at a very young age. It's amazing how little self-discipline people have. How little self-discipline disciples of Jesus have. And the church now is so afraid of disciplining disciples. Because they'll get argumented and they'll leave and they'll get angry. But the most loving thing a good father would do for his children is to discipline them. Why am I telling you this? Because there are times where your father will not be there. Where your pastor won't be there. 
where your leader may not even find out. But what do you do when you know you're letting yourself down, your family, your church, and above everything else, the Father in, the, the Father in, in heaven who loves you? What do you do when you know you're spitting on the sacrifice of Jesus? And I know this is a different sermon. I know it's like, I brought a friend, Pastor, not tonight. But what do you do when you sin? What do you do when you know you shouldn't have said that and you say it? You know you shouldn't have thought that and you thought it. What do you do when you know you shouldn't have done that and you did it again? What do you do with the feeling? What do you do with the spirit of failure over you? I believe that more Christians walk away, not because of sin, but because of the torment of what they should have, could have, and didn't do. Is that true or not? More Christians walk away from God because of that feeling, that, that torment, not because of discipline, but because of punishment. There's a big difference between discipline and punishment. I do not punish my kids, I discipline them. What is the big difference between the two? One, behind it is condemnation, is anger. Behind it is, is an oppression. But behind discipline is the trust, the faith, the expectation that you will be better and better and better and stronger. That it will not happen again. That is the difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is meant to hurt you. Discipline is meant to strengthen you. How many of us wish we were more disciplined? Raise your hand if you wish you were more disciplined. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> Come on now. You know we could all use a little more discipline. Otherwise, we would never be overweight. Come on now, should I, should I get real right now? Right? We would all be looking fine, right? Every one of us. Our finances would be just, you know, a blessing to the U.S. of A. and the world. Isn't it true? If we were so disciplined, we would never hurt people because our mouth would be disciplined. We would never say things out of time, out of context. Is that true or not? If we were disciplined with our mind, we would be learning constantly and learning the right things, not just junk. We'd be disciplined. We would sleep at the right time, wake up at the right time. We would be disciplined. I am more convinced today than ever before that the biggest need in the church is not more preaching, it's more discipline. Now we hate to be disciplined, but we love to be disciplined. I am convinced that the people that are most disciplined are the people that like themselves the most. And the people that are less disciplined are the people that like themselves the least. Listen to what I just said to you. I didn't say love. Now, you may love yourself because God loves you and he taught you to love those around you and he taught you that you are loved. But sometimes you don't like some things about your life because you lack discipline. I know, I wish I could change some things and I'm working at them. And the answer is not my wife praying for me. It's not my pastor telling me how amazing I'm doing. It's me being more disciplined, period. So how do you deal with failure? Because failure is the opposite. Failure is, is this antibody against discipline. Failure tells you, why even try? Like really, why? Have you seen yourself? Have you heard yourself? Have you been in your head before? Haven't you known you for long enough to know that you shouldn't try? That's failure. Failure is telling you, you will never be that. You will never have it. You will never get there. God doesn't love you. People around you don't want to be near you. You will always be this way. Failure speaks. And sometimes if you allow it, it will scream. And scream so loud. Even above the voice of God. Why am I speaking about this today? Because I wholeheartedly believe that God today wants you to make you a failure slayer. Somebody who can defeat the spirit of failure anytime it arises. That you can recognize it right away. Amen. So I want to now share with you about Peter. Uh, give God a round of applause. Why not? Let's do this thing. Matthew chapter 27, verse 75. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. First thing that you must do when you encounter failure in your life, you must learn to grieve. Grieve. Failure is something you cannot go over. You can't go around it. You can't go under it. You have to go through it. Sometimes... Some things you just cannot avoid but to hurt. And if sometimes your failure doesn't hurt, it's because you embraced it as your own. Listen, I competed my entire life. I've been in teams. I've been in, in, in fighting competitions. I've been in, in teams, sports teams. I've always compete. I am now, I'm telling you this. Listen, I've never met a champion that doesn't hurt 
when they lose. I've never met a champion that doesn't hurt them when they lose. Now, I'm not saying that they're sore losers and they go around putting everybody else down. But if they could have done better, if they should have done a little more, it hurts them. And that's what leads them to becoming champions. It really makes me really weirded out when a Christian falls and very quickly pretends like God just forgave them. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. Redemption is immediate, but restoration is a process. Redemption is immediate, but restoration is a process. God will forgive you immediately. Now, God forgives you. But now, you have to work out your salvation. First, you are redeemed. Amen. Then you are renewed. Then you are restored. First, God redeems you. He pays for your sin. He buys you back. You have no more guilt then. And now, it's time to change. Now it's time to rebuild. I can't destroy my family and say, God, you forgave me. Go back to them and say, why are you mad? God forgave me. Why are you mad? They'll kick me out of the house. Does that make sense? I am so weary when a believer falls, lets their family down, their leadership down, their church down, and above all, their God down and pretends like nothing happened. Grieving is not always a bad thing. Now, my question is this. How long should a person grieve? When somebody dies, this season has been a tough season for so many people. I don't want to sound like a, like a president of a nation, but man, this nation is in dwelling time now. It's in mourning season. This world is mourning. You grieve depending on the size of the loss. If I lose a fish, how long will I grieve? As long as it takes for the water to... Just kidding. Sounds really jacked up, but that's my case. But if I lose a son, how long will it take me to recover? Some say perhaps never. Do you understand what I'm saying? The grief and the process depend on the size and the, and the depth of the fall. If I eat the last cookie that was my favorite, my wife's favorite cookie, and uh, that was an unloving act because it was her cookie and she really wanted her cookie with her mate, and I eat it, I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. And she just looks at me like, that was my cookie. Like, I'm so sorry. I, 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 yeah, I just, I just really wanted it. How long will she be mad at me for? Now, if it's your wife, maybe for like 10 weeks. Mine is better. Right? Maybe. I don't know. Oh, come on. Really? She'll be mad until I open the other pack. I say, but I got you two packages. Ah. Isn't it true? Right? But, but. If I forget to change the tires of the car and they're really bald and she's been telling me for months. And she skits on the road and gets in a car accident. Gets hurt. Wrecks the car. How long will she be mad at me for? Because it's a grieving. It's, 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 a lot, it's a lot more deep, isn't it? So the first thing you and I must learn to do is to gauge what we've done. To come to realization of what we actually did. Maybe, just maybe, listen. Maybe, just maybe, you don't think it's that big a deal. Until you look around you and you see the effect. I love what Louis was talking about, the ripple effect of the blessing. Well, there's also ripple effect of the curse. Maybe what you did only hurt you. Or maybe what you did perhaps hurt other people. Maybe somebody else was doing really well and because you stumbled, you hurt them. Am I making sense? Maybe as a father, it's not just me walking away from my family. Maybe as a father, it's me having a ripple effect on my family. It's not just me walking away. It's not just me and it's not just about her and I. Now it's about my children and my children's children and everyone else that saw me say that I was a believer. You see, the depth of our sin tells you the depth of the need of grief. You know why God allows grief? So that you don't do it again. You know why God allows us to feel the pain of burn? So we don't go touching fire anymore. Am I making sense? I believe that God allows us to grieve a certain level. So that we don't ever stoop down to that one again. Why am I saying this to you? Because we as believers must learn to grieve. And grieving is not what some people think. Listen to this. Some people think that grieving is isolating themselves. Sometimes people think that grieving is removing themselves from their community, from their family, from those that love them. And that is not 
the right way to grieve. That is not the right way to grieve. That is what the spirit of failure will do to you. Here's what Peter did. Did. <laughs> Peter, sorry, did. So Peter denies Jesus three times and he goes away. He leaves the 12. Hello? Peter leaves the 12. Peter goes back into his old job. He goes back to where he came from. Some would say he went back to the world. He backslid. Peter decided he wasn't worthy to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now listen, if you're not careful, the enemy will tell you the same thing when you stumble. He will tell you, you fell, now you need to walk away. You fell, now you need to deprive people of your depravity. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. Every time I see predators on the National Geographic shows, I see divide and conquer. I see a lion getting the one that walked away. I see the killer orcas trying to pull the little baby away from the rest of the whales. Why is that? Because that's what the enemy does. He will isolate you and then he will destroy you. He knows that as long as people have your back, he can never attack it. He knows that as long as you're near the fire, you will never grow cold. So he'll pull you out of the fireplace and he'll wait and watch you get hardened and calloused. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. If you isolate yourself, you have given yourself to the worst kind of temptation. And that is that temptation of thinking you can fix yourself. The temptation to think you don't need somebody else. You'll get through it on your own. You're going to lick your own wounds. And somehow, some way, you're going to come out of it. Sometimes it's the worst kind of pride. Listen to this, okay? Paul isolated himself, but I love what Jesus did. Jesus went and said, go call all the disciples and Peter. Why would he say and Peter? Because he knew that if he didn't say his name, he wouldn't come. Because he didn't consider himself a disciple anymore. Today, God says, go call everyone. And then he says your name. When you fall, when you stumble, you remain connected. When you fail, you remain connected. You do not allow the enemy to rip you away from those that can help you. You never, ever, ever separate from that place where God planted you. I am so deeply convicted tonight that some would have made it in their Christian walk if they would have just remained connected. Man, you know, one day, listen, I was, uh, you know, we were throwing blows and Mikey was there and I got punched in the face and uh, a few of my teeth came off. Now, one particular was one of my front teeth. Why are you laughing? Is that Mikey laughing at me? And, uh, hey, why are you guys laughing? So anyway, I got one of my teeth, a couple of my teeth knocked out. Mikey, are you here? Remember that? And I was like, oh, my tooth. Oh. So my tooth fell out and I just started kind of laughing. And he said, there, is it there? He's there. like, yeah, it's there. So we just kind of shoved it back in right away. And we went to uh, the Methodist hospital and it was closed. I don't even know where we went. They ended up putting this bar like from here to here. And I had to wear the bar for like three years. It sounds extreme. And the doctor told me, you know what? Most likely your tooth is just going to get purple. It's going to rot and it's going to die. And I was like, I rebuke those words in the name of Jesus. You know, and he was like, yeah, you know, that's a very, very slim chance, you know, it's, it's you know. And, and then he said something to me. He said, did it actually fall out of your mouth? And I said, no, I kept it in my mouth. He said, well, there's a small chance then. And he looked at me and I looked at him. I was like, well, okay, it's going it's to stay there. I was so, such faith that I was going to have my tooth. Listen, whenever people would see that metal bar, they're like, oh, cool, you got braces. I was like, yeah, I got braces. There's nasty, like, it's like a nasty bar there. Literally just like a metal bar. And uh, by the grace of God, my tooth is still there. It's ugly and crooked and it has a stain. Yeah, you've got to run up us. Why not? <laughs> so anyway, so if you've, ever never got, you've never gotten your tooth knocked out, it sucks, right? But one of the things you've got to learn is that if you get your tooth knocked out, don't let it leave your mouth. Just shove it right back in. All right, not too hard. Just put it back in and then go to the doctor. Make sure it's unmovable. Now listen, there's a story. There's something behind this, okay? I really believe when I was preparing this, God began to speak to me about this. He said, some of you get really hurt, like knocked out. Like, man, the enemy puts some nasty stuff. If you could just remain, even if you think you're out, if you could just remain, there's a chance. That sounds really strange, but man, there's a chance. The moment you take it out, the moment you do something else with it, the, I got to tell you, seriously, listen, listen. Even when you feel like you cannot connect is when you need it the most. Man, when you feel like you cannot communicate is when you need to most communicate. Husbands, wives, when you feel most disconnected is where the most need of connection there is. 
disciples and leaders. When you feel the person furthest away is when you most need to be close to them. Disciples, when you feel furthest away, don't go fishing. You need to stay connected. I love this because this isolation mindset, this is how the enemy uses it. Listen, before you sin, the enemy will minimize it. But after you sin, the enemy will maximize it. Before you sin, he'll make it seem like it's no big deal. Do it. No one's going to find out. It's going to be right. It's going to feel good. Don't even worry about it. Everyone's, come on, everyone does it. Besides, they love you. And then after you fall and after you sin, he'll tell you, you are the worst piece of trash. How dare you? How dare you? And he will remind you even of the Bible. He'll use stories. He'll use even the kind words of people. He will use them to wound you even deeper. Because that's what the enemy does. He will minimize first, then he will maximize after. That's his plan, to make you walk away. I would tell you, cell groups are an act of mercy for God in your life. Why do I say this? Because in cell groups, I've seen Jesus manifest himself. Some of you guys say, what do you mean? Did he just show up? Because that's what he did in the Bible. When Peter went, he showed up. He turned up. <laughs> when he showed up, Jesus shows up in the house and, and does this incredible miracle. Some of you guys say, well, when have you seen Jesus just show up at a house? I've seen him plenty of times. There's been times where I've been at cell group, either attending or leading the cell. And all of a sudden, the presence of God just comes over people. And there's this beautiful moment, act of grace, redemption. There's joy, there's freedom, revelation. I see Jesus covering other people with, with love, with embrace, with acceptance. I see the hands of Jesus, though they are pierced, they're laying and healing hearts. I see the feet of Jesus, although they are pierced, they're walking towards those that need him. I see the body of Christ manifesting itself week after week after week. You are the hands and you are the feet of Jesus. In the cell group, in the cell group is where God will bless you so much. Is where God will show you his grace and his mercy. Listen, maybe that day is not for you. Maybe that day is from you. Maybe that day that you should have gone to cell group, it wasn't about you receiving. Maybe that day somebody needed you to hug them. Maybe that day somebody needed you to be there. Maybe that day your leader needed you there because he was feeling that spirit of failure telling him this cell group will never grow. And you agreed with the enemy when you didn't show. Or maybe, just maybe, that day you overcame so many things. You fought to be there. And you let your leader know all your sacrifice is worthy. It's worth it. What you're doing is worth it. Why am I telling you this? Because in community, in community, God is there and he moves and he heals and he strengthens. I talked to a man very, not too long ago. And he said to me, I am my own church. And I wanted to slap him. Because <laughs> the person didn't understand what church really meant. I will always tell you, you are the church. When I say you, I don't mean just you. I mean you, y'all are the church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. I almost asked them the question, and honestly, the Lord refrained my tongue. I said, you may be part of the body, but not the best part. Because <laughs> if, <you> if you think you are the church, all of it, you're missing the point. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. No wonder some people are not so sharp. Some of us really, really need to recognize something. This is not about an organization. It's an organis organism. And if you disconnect from the organism, by the way, I don't mean this is the only place. There are other wonderful, incredible churches. But you know, to me, this is the only wonderful, incredible church for me. Let me tell you why. Because this is where God planted me. This is where God rooted me. Could there be others? Absolutely. Are there better ones? For them. Because I am rooted and I am planted. I see my wife's plants. I give God a shout of praise. Why not? Let's do that. So I see my wife's plants. And I love, I love how, how she loves her plants. You know, uh, I wish they knew that. But, you know, like my wife's plants, you know, they, she takes care of them. And, and I, I, she tells me that some plants really need to be planted in a bigger, bigger pot and all these things. And, and I keep thinking like, the more you take the plant out, like, you know, you keep switching it from, from pot to pot, it's just going to die. It's not rooted. It just makes sense to me that some people will never cast roots because they never think that's their spot. And if you don't cast roots, you will never bear fruits. 
You will never, ever. So you need to learn to say, God, help me to remain. I know maybe, just maybe, you know what you're doing. I know you know what you're doing. Help me to stay connected. One more thing. The Bible says, cast yourself onto him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. He cares for you. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Let's put it up on the screens. It says, 1 Peter 5, 7. Can you read it with me? Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. One more time. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. The Bible doesn't say because he loves you because that is already known. It's because he cares about you. He doesn't only love you, he cares about you. I love that. There are people that I love that I can't care for. Hear what I said? There are people that I love that I cannot care for. Meaning I can't care for them. I can't provide care for them because they're not here. They're not near my reach. I know I love them. I, I was texting somebody. I said, I'm the worst long distance friend. Like I'm not there and I'm so, I, I'm so caught up in the moment that I sometimes forget that my friends are abroad and far away. And you know what happens? Sometimes, although I love them, I don't know what's happening. So I can't provide, I can't care for them the way that I would if you were here. Listen to this, please. This is very important. I'm about to say it now, just in case you one day need it or you need an explanation for it. Some people don't realize that when you walk away from a relationship, when you walk away from people, you're also walking away from their care. Listen, please. When you walk away from someone, you walk away from their care. I love, today we had friends, Friendsgiving with Elijah's friends and all the, all, a lot of the boys from the church, they came over the house and just made an awesome mess. I'm just kidding. You know, no, it was beautiful. No, they didn't. They did a great job. These guys are amazing kids. And, you know, <laughs> they were just running around doing all kinds of things. And, and uh, I, I got to tell you this, like, Eoni was, was watching, but she was also staying out of their way. Like she wasn't trying to like, you know, do the activities or things like that with them. I only did one thing or two with them. And then I just backed off and let them be. But how many of you guys know moms that at all times we were still watching over them? Like we were, uh, there's a comedian that says that men don't really watch their kids. They listen. They just listen for stuff. You guys know who I'm talking about? Like, like we don't, we're not really watching. We're listening to see if they already fell into the toilet or something, you know? Like we need to learn something. If you walk away from a relationship, you walk away from care. Not maybe love, but definitely care. I may love you so much, but I can't care for you if you're away. Now, if my kids are playing and they're under our supervision, you bet your bottom dollar we're going to care for them. But if they're not near, we can't care over them. When you walk away from your community, you're not walking away from an organization. You're walking away from their care, from their protection, from their cover. Why am I saying this to you? Because some people get really mad when you act like you don't care, when in reality, you love them. You act like you don't care, but in reality, they walked away. Never get it wrong. I'm going to tell you this. If you were here, I would be able to care for you. But if you're not here, no one can care for you. Listen, why am I saying this to you? Because I see it in the Bible so often. So many people, so many people that make mistakes, but just because you make a mistake, it doesn't mean you got to walk away. Just because someone makes a mistake, it doesn't mean we got to kill on the shoulder. Peter and Judas were very different. Peter walked away, but he came back. Judas walked away and he hung himself. Peter received the law of restoration. He received everything that God had for him. He received everything that his community had to give him. But Judas didn't give it a chance. He just walked away. I speak to you today as a loving pastor. I'm not trying to blame anyone. I'm simply telling you right now, remember this forever. When you walk away, you walk away from privileges that only God can give you. Such as these. For me to walk away from my family, it means that I no longer receive some things. If I walk away from my job, I can't come back and expect a paycheck. Hello. Right? That only happens in the United States, by the way. <laughs> some people walk away and they get paid even more. That doesn't happen in relationships. Why am I saying this? Because sometimes failure will not only tell you that you're not good enough. Failure will eventually tell you that if you walk away, it's the best thing that you can do.
It is the worst thing you can do. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of bring to, uh, to light uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, that you may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So how does God respond to you? I want to finish with this simple idea now. So first thing is this. When you fall, you have to learn to grieve. Number two. Number two. What was number two? You have to stay connected. You cannot just walk away. But it is super important to understand. Now what do you do? You cast your cares to God. You cast yourself onto God. Whenever you make a mistake, whenever you sin, whenever you fall, you don't cast yourself onto people. Of course, there's specific people that will love you and give you wise advice. Please listen. This is so important. When sometimes people fall, they go to the wrong person at the wrong time. You don't go to the person that walked away from God as well and think that's going to help you. How in the world can a person help you be lifted if they themselves are on the ground? How can somebody help you elevate your soul and your spirit when theirs is dead? How can, or in a coma, how could someone help revive you? The other day I was in the plane and I was like coming back, we were coming back from Panama and this, this, you know, they were giving the announcement and they talked about the mass that drops. You go, and if the mass drops, right? It may not inflate, but you first have to do what? Put it on yourself and then it shows a mom, then putting it on their kid. I was like, I don't think I would do that. I would just want to put it on my kid first. But then it made sense to me. If you are choking, you can't breathe. You try to help everybody else out. You're going to die. You won't be able to help anybody else out. This is so clear. How does Jesus respond to you? How does God respond when you fall? This is what he told Peter. Listen to this, okay? This was so powerful. And I, for me, it was revelation. Luke 22, 31, 32. Simon, behold, Satan has determined, I mean, demanded permission to sift you like wheat, meaning he's going to shake you up. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Let me repeat it again. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. First thing that God sees when you fall is this. His reaction is not, oh, how dare you? Like God is not shocked at your sin. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, he knew that while you were yet sinners, myself included, Christ died for us. The Bible knew that you would fall. The Bible knew that you would sin. And some say, well, if he knew, why didn't he just stop it? Because he loves you. And he's more interested in your growth than in your perfection. Man, God wants you to grow. God wants you to learn. He wants you to be like him, not just to like him. So God allows things in our lives so we can get stronger and better and more like him. So this is what he says. He says, I pray for you. The Bible says that Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father for you and for me. He's our lawyer. And guess what? He knows the judge. As a matter of fact, he is his son. You're in with the judge. How does that sound to you? God intercedes for you. He goes to bat for you. He cares for you. So Jesus, whenever you fall, don't feel condemnation. Conviction is different. Conviction is, I know the grief. I understand what I did. My God loves me and I will stand up and I will not do this again. God, I need to change. I need desperation now to change. Do not let failure tell you that God doesn't love you. God loves you so much. He's unwilling to have you stay the same. God loves you so much. As a matter of fact, he's praying for you. The next thing that he's doing is, is that your faith may not fail. He's praying for you and he's literally saying, I now am believing for you that your faith will not fail. God is not looking at you expecting for you to fall again. He's looking at you expecting for you to learn and to grow. I have to say this, please listen. This church is not built on perfect people. It's built on ruins. You know what? When a lie falls apart, God can make something so much better. God can rebuild it in such a way. I was reading about this, this group of persecuted Christians. They were being constantly, constantly thrown stones at. 
they would gather like this and people from around the town would come and just stone them, throw all kinds of stones at them. The story says that eventually with enough stones thrown at them, the, the Christians began to build their chapel. A chapel built, the foundation of it built on stones thrown at them. How beautiful is that? And when the enemy throws stones at you, you say, this is the foundation of something great. This is what God can do with a life that refuses to quit. Listen, give God a round of applause. Why not? God. He tells Peter, he said, not only am I praying for you, not only, not only am I looking at you and saying, man, you can do this. It says when, listen to this. It says when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He says not if, but when. Not if, but when. I'm believing that anyone who walked away from God, not necessarily from the church, because at the end of the day, like I told you, this, this church is not the only one. But I'm praying that anyone who walked away from God, when they come back to Jesus, God will use their lives tremendously to do amazing things. Amazing. You know, I've heard of pastors that kind of curse people when they leave their church. I think, what short-sightedness do you have? How lame is that? I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying we don't care for people. I'm saying maybe you don't have down the road vision to think that God can use them in some way, somewhere else, through someone else investing into them. I pray that whenever someone walked away, that God will use them tremendously down the road. But one thing I know for sure is this, that God can forgive any repented sin. Any repented sin, God can forgive. Unrepented sin, that's a different story. If you never repent from sin, you're binding the hands of God. And as forgiveness is available, it's not to you because you decided to accept sin and not his redemption. And so this is what happens. Jesus is saying, when, when, but that when depends on you, not on him. When, it's up to you, not up to him. When you have turned back, he doesn't turn you. He says, when you have turned back, when you have turned back, then I will use you to bless your brothers and your sisters. I am so glad that my God doesn't see my sin and say, yeah, get away. I don't need you anymore. Next, I'll use the next one. I'm so glad that when God sees you stumbling and falling, he says, I want to use you. I want to use you. I want to use you to strengthen your brothers and your sisters. I believe that your failures are not the end, but rather the beginning of the greatest part of your ministry. Anything, anything that you're struggling with can become part of the greatest strength in the hands of God. Amen. That God would use us. If your marriage is struggling, that God would use that down the road to strengthen many marriages. And that if you're struggling in your identity, that God would use you in that area to restore so many people who are struggling in their identity. Amen. If you're struggling in your finances, that God would use you to become a blessing to so many people in their finances. If you're struggling with your thoughts, sadness, perhaps his loneliness, that God would use you to bring blessing to so many people who are struggling in that area. Not if, but when you turn. When? When you turn. Stand up with me, please. I want to pray something super simple. The Bible says in Lamentation 3, 22, 23, the steadfast of the Lord never cease. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. Every morning they are new. You know why there are new mercies? Because there's new sin. There are new mercies because there are new sins. I'm not saying you have so much creativity, you came up with a different way to sin. That is No, no I mean like, we come up with ways to mess up. And God says, I got you. New mercies every morning. As dark as your life may seem at times, I want to tell you the most beautiful Bible verse you can hear. There are new mercies for you every single morning. The darkness may come, right? Through the night, joy comes in the morning. It says those sadness may come through the night, joy comes in the morning. God's mercy would just wash you up tonight. That even today, I don't know what you're struggling. I don't know what you're feeling. Maybe for you, it's not necessarily a sin. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a repetitive sin that becomes an iniquity. Iniquity means that you have done something so long that you think it's a habit 
so much that it becomes a part of your personality and you've come to accept it. Well, I'm just an angry person. No, 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 no. That wrath needs to walk out of you. That wrath needs to be casted out. You need to be ministered to. You need to be healed. Don't accept it as your own. But God tonight would just bless you with the understanding, with the knowledge that it's your choice now to walk away from sin, to turn back to Him, that He can use you in a mighty way. Amen. So I want to ask you to make yourself a promise. I'm not going to ask you to promise me because at the end of the day, who am I? But to promise yourself to never isolate yourself. To never pretend like it didn't happen. You see, when Peter was betraying Jesus because this little girl asked him, aren't you the one? He said, I don't know. He started cussing up stuff, saying F this, F that. He started trying to say cuss words as to not relate himself with Jesus so that people would say, oh yeah, never mind. He's not a disciple. She said, you talk like him. No, I don't. Look. Beep, 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 beep. Bible says that he began to curse. Then this says that he walked away bitterly. And I believe that that bitter, that, that feeling, if he would have said, well, you don't know that little girl, the girl was tough. I don't think he tried to excuse himself. I don't think, well, they would have killed me too. You see, you know, God knows. He knows me. He loves me anyway. He didn't try to excuse it. He said, you know what? I own all. I own this one. This one's mine. I need to own it. I need to grieve it. And then I need to take it to God so that he can do something great with it. Amen? So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to ask God to help us to never, ever, ever isolate ourselves, to never walk away, to never pretend like it didn't happen. We're going to ask God to give us the wisdom and the strength and that he would surround us with enough people that will love us to call us out, to tell us when we're screwing up. That we would learn to cast ourselves into his arms and not into the arms of the enemy or into the arms of people that don't know what to do with us but into the arms of God. Come on, pray tonight and ask God to give you the kind of strength that whenever you don't do what God called you to do, you don't pretend like you don't know Him, but instead, that you have the wisdom to know the pain you've caused and not isolate yourself, not walk away, but instead to throw yourself into His arms and to tell Him, Jesus, I'm here. I need you. I want to pray for you. I wasn't going to do that, but I want to pray for you now. If you walked away, maybe you haven't physically walked away, but maybe you, in your heart you've isolated yourself or maybe you expected something from God and it hasn't yet happened and you feel like, like he walked away. Well, I want to tell you, God never walks away from you. God loves you so much. Some of you here, perhaps, perhaps are in this season. You have done things that you would have never done in other, in other times of your life. You would have never done those. You never thought of those things. And you thought, and you recognize now that that's the enemy working. I want to ask you now to throw yourself into the arms of God. Right here, right now. To tell him, God, I just, I ask you, God, to help me. To strengthen, strengthen me, God. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to please, God, help me, please. Please help me, God. That I would never walk away from you. That I would never walk away, God. Help me, Lord, to have the strength and the wisdom. Help me, God, to... That as I grieve through grieving your heart, that I don't listen to the enemy's lies. It says that I'm not good enough. God, I know that you died for me, Jesus. You died on the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. I accept your sacrifice. I accept your blood. Thank you, Jesus. I ask you, God, right now, to help me to recognize that when I fall, you are there with me. You're there for me, God. You will never walk away. Jesus, thank you so much because you restore me. Thank you so much because you renew me, God. Thank you so much because you don't quit on me. Your word says that, that even though I am unfaithful, you will never be unfaithful because you cannot deny yourself. Thank you for being faithful always. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. You've got a big run of applause. Listen. Listen, Peter had a breakthrough. Judas had a breakdown. Peter looked up. Judas gave up. Peter accepted the mercy of God. Judas rejected the mercy of God. Peter lived in celebration. Judas died in condemnation. Peter ended up living his life on purpose. Judas took his own life in despair. Peter became the rock on which the church would be founded. That's what the Bible says. 
He says, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know if he was pointing at Peter. But there was only one guy in the group with a name named Petros, which means stone, rock, Peter. It doesn't mean that he is, he is a replacement of Jesus, none whatsoever. He meant in people like this, I will build my church. People like this, rocks that once were casted out, rocks that one day were just not good enough. And these kind of people, I will build my church. This is the kind of foundation I want. Not perfect people, repentant people, humble people, people that are willing to stick it out. I have to say this and then we go, I promise. Never be afraid of letting me down or your leaders. If your motivation is not letting people down, you got it wrong. It's about God. It's about not letting God down. Because I may never find out, but God is always there. I can't help you. I can't. There's some things I can't do for you. One thing you have to learn today and always remember it. It's not about me. It's not about your leadership. It's about God. Now listen, don't get it twisted, my bro. <laughs> listen, I am afraid of letting God down, but it hurts me to let people down. It's not fear, it's pain. You have to understand that yes, there is a feeling that you let someone down that trusted and believed in you, but that's not your motivation. That's not your motivation. It's about God who loves you so much. If you don't hold me up, you can't let me down. If you don't hold me up, you can't let me down. The one who will never let me down is Jesus. And that's who we put our trust in. The other is just love. We love each other and we care for each other. Is that okay? Yeah? In this week, if you're struggling with something and you've isolated yourself, go to someone. Go to the leadership. Go with your pastors. Go with, with somebody who know, who you know is going to love you, is going to care for you. Confess. Speak it out before it gets bigger. Is that okay? I know this is a process. This is not a sermon. It's something that we're going to continue to work through and deal with. But I just never want this church to ever not know how to deal with failure. You are never a failure. Failure, remember that. It's a spirit. You need to cast it out many times. Is that good? Love you guys so much. We'll see you guys on Sunday. And uh, peace out. Bye.